Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. This is part two of our discussion on the patient experience. And this was where at Hopkins we invited outside speakers, outside of medicine and certainly outside of radiology to come to speak to us about the patient experience and customer satisfaction. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time with the last five speakers. So... Cindy Wolf, she is a chef. She's a co-owner and executive chef in Baltimore. So she owns a number of restaurants in Baltimore. So who better to invite to speak to us about customer service than a chef who runs restaurants? And the, the quote that I picked from her is she mentions that we're both in the business of ensuring the happiness and comfort of our customers. And in that way, I think there are clear parallels between the restaurant business and healthcare. So she makes the point that her customers, and she has, you know, kind of high-end restaurants, have high expectations, and they never forget about the customer experience. And she feels that we should think the same way about our patients, that it should be an exceptional experience from the moment they make their appointment, so the moment they call to schedule their appointment, until the moment they leave. And that's something we don't think about in radiology, right? As radiologists, we're kind of in the back room reading the films, and we don't care what's happening out front. And she says you absolutely cannot ignore a single element of the healthcare experience. So you need to take care of what she says in the restaurant business is the front of the house, not just the kitchen. So the chef's back in the kitchen, so that's like the radiologist back in the reading room you still need to know what's going on in the front of the house, the front of the restaurant. You have to make sure that all those experience the patient has or the customer has are excellent. And so for radiologists, that means we need to know what's going on in the rest of the department. We can't just stay back in the reading room. Every patient should feel like they're the most important person in the room. You don't want to just have a waiting room of patients and they just feel they're like cattle. They need to feel that they're important, each one. And again, just like the other speakers that I talked about in part one, you have to pay a lot of attention to who you're hiring. And you want to train all the employees. And you want the best person to train the employees. You don't want to hire somebody new and then have them trained by just the person who's there who you might not even think is a good employee. You want your best person to be training them, even if it's a higher person. So if you're hiring somebody at the front desk, you as the radiologist may be the one to train that person and tell them what you expect when they greet a uh, patient coming in. You want to hire people who share your vision. You want clear job description. And you want to make sure that everybody's trained by the best possible person, your most senior staff. And then this was a theme that some of the other speakers brought up, treat your employees well. She makes sure they're paid well. She never embarrasses them or humiliates them in public. She never highlights their mistakes in public. And when you do this and treat your employees well, then you set up a culture where you can promote from within. And so some of her chefs, her senior sh chefs, started out as dishwashers. And you can see in radiology, that's definitely applicable. Some of our best faculty, they were residents, right? Some of your technologists went on to be your senior managers. So you want to make sure you're hiring the right people, treating them well, and then they will stay with you forever. And that's the best way to build a business. And again, as radiologists, you have to pay attention to the front of the house. What's happening out there? What's happening with your scheduling department? How are they treating the patients when they call? What's happening when the patients check in? What, how are the technologists treating the patient in the exam room? Our next speaker was Freeman Harbowski, and he's the president of University of Maryland, Baltimore County. So that's a 
a university here in Maryland. He mentions that the only thing worse than being blind is instead having eyes and not knowing what you are seeing. Seeing is the key to changing culture. And he spoke a lot about changing your culture. What he's really known for is diversity. And he uh, trains minority scientists. So he has been successful at doing what a lot of universities have not been successful in doing. He has a very diverse patient population and he he trains underrepresented minorities and teaches them how to be scientists and be leaders in their field. He mentions that running an educational institution such as his and a medical department is kind of similar in a way. They tend to be industries where outcomes are nowhere near as good as we would like them to be, but making changes seems to be very difficult. So for instance, in hospitals and departments, we still struggle with hand washing, right? If I mean, if any of us reported our rates of hand washing amongst physicians and nurses, it's terrible. It's nowhere near what it should be. I mean, it should be 100%. 100% of physicians and nurses should be washing their hands, but they're not. And for some reason, we struggle in these reforms. He makes a point that we have to adjust, adjust the focus of our departments and hospitals to the customers and the patients, right? Take a time to look at your own department's culture. How are we treating the patients? Why is it the patients are waiting 45 minutes to get a chest x-ray? That's ridiculous, right? You never would design a system that way. Put yourself in the shoes of the patient. Try to figure out what barriers there are that we're placing in front of your patients. Why is it we're making it difficult? Why is it difficult for the patient to schedule an appointment or they don't have a requisition? All these things make it difficult. Listen to different perspectives and listen with an open mind to make your own institution a stronger, healthier place. He mentions that too often our attempt to make changes in our departments and improve our patient experience is based on anecdotes and that we don't have hard data. So in his university, he just doesn't make changes on a whim because somebody thinks we need to do it. He really collects the data. And that's what we're all doing with our QI and QA projects, right? You want to take it seriously. It's a science. If you're going to make a change, you want to document, you know, the status of it is before and after the change. And you want some data to show that it's actually making a difference. Otherwise, you're going to do a lot of work and it may not change anything. So you want to make sure that the changes that you're trying to make are based on good data and taking a quantitative approach. Our next speaker was Bill Phillips. He's the vice president and editor-in-chief of Men's Health magazine. And he makes a point, step one, serve the reader, in our case the patient. Step two, never forget step one. So this is the speaker who, you know, basically was in the health field in a way. So he has Men Health Magazine, and it's been very successful. And if you look at the statistics from Men's Health Magazine, you can see 14 million subscribers, 18 million worldwide, 65 countries. They have a website. They have social media. They host athletic events. They go where the patients are. They go where the readers are. So they have this urban athlon where they have these sports activities in 21 cities to draw people in and athletes in to promote their men's magazine. They have hundreds of thousands of books, DVDs, apps that they sell every year. They're thinking of opening up gyms, uh, again, to promote a healthy lifestyle, which is all about what their magazine is about. They have radio shows. They have um, fitness work sites. So you have to go where the customers are. He says that health isn't just a good business plan for us. It's a good life plan for the readers. So they're really promoting 
health and they want people men's health magazine to be the source of where they're getting their information because they succeed when the patients succeed they keep their focus on the reader and their needs just as we should keep our focus on our patients encourage our employees to be creative and to brainstorm so that's key you want employees that are trying to improve your practice and have ideas how to cut down wait time how to streamline the process you know how to take you make use of technology maybe get rid of some of this paperwork we have people fill out why can't that be electronic why can't it be on an ipad why can't we get this information ahead of time to speed up the process you really want a system where the patient it's like fast food in a way right they come in they're there they get their x-ray they're done they're not sitting around waiting for paperwork waiting you know um, an hour before they're seen and that you want to make sure that your employees feel secure enough to take risks and make suggestions for improvement that they're part of the team and they want your practice to succeed and I guarantee especially the younger ones now with social media and things like that they will help you and they will show you how you can incorporate this into your practice and that's a, a nice segue into our next speaker who was Whitney Fishman Zember so she's an MBA she's a senior partner at MEC, where she's the lead in uh, innovation and consumer technology. So she spoke to us about social media. So she says, ultimately, you need to care about social media in your practice or in your radiology department because the patients and other healthcare providers care about social media. So you have to build a positive online relationship with patients, and that can help build the positive offline relationship. She gave us a refresher course in what social media is. So, for example, she described that there are social and professional networks, which I think we're all familiar with. So that's where people can find friends or family or colleagues and share different types of content. So these are like your Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, those kind of things. And then there's microblogs. So these are condensed amount of contacts. Uh, content which focuses users to be creative in a very short amount of space right so this is twitter which is 140 cha uh, characters or vine which is a six second video and then there's blogs so these are the most traditional of social media platforms and that gives people online homes to convey their thoughts and so this is a little bit more common in healthcare right sometimes patients have a blog where they talk about their cancer diagnosis or where other people can give their perspective and give their experience the relevance of social media to medicine and radiology in particular is that every day people use social media for every aspect of their life. So why would they behave any differently when it comes to their health care and when it comes to getting their radiology? They're, especially the younger generation who are really tuned into social media, they're going to turn to social media when they're seeing their doctor or see what's available on the web. That there are social media as tools for personal health, right? Now we have all these devices where we can monitor our health and how is that going to fit into healthcare and radiology? Social media has informational content as well as emotional and communicative value, right? This way to interact and communicate with patients. There's plenty of GPs now who communicate via text, not just email. They're their patients are texting them or texting their nurse practitioners or their front desk people. That's how people like to communicate. So you have to find a way to incorporate that. Social media can be used to connect. So patients can connect to their families, for example, but patients to patients. So this is where blogs come in. These blogs where patients can talk 
um, with each other about similar diagnosis or their experiences. And then patients to healthcare providers. There's ways where patients can communicate with their physician or their physician team through social media. So this is, um, you know, whether it's texting or blogs or online sites where they can get their results or schedule an appointment online or through their phone or through an app. These are becoming more and more prevalent. And then just a reminder to everybody that you need to understand the risks of using social media in healthcare and that we do have to worry about HIPAA and keeping our patients' um, information private and that misuse can have serious implications for the patient care and even for your own career in healthcare. Okay, then we have Tina Wells and Tina Wells, CEO and founder of Buzz Marketing Group. So this is a marketing group that deals with the millennials and she's an expert on the millennial generation and she says that the rest of the economy is already wrestling with how to adjust their business models in order to appeal to this new generation of consumers and there's little doubt that the medical world will have to make a similar adjustment in the coming years. So she talked to us about this millennial generation. So these are people typically born between 1980 and the early 2000s and they have a unique mindset. There are 10 major trends that you have to understand with this generation. So the first one is something called the maker's movement. So this generation sees themselves as makers, not necessarily consumers. So they just don't want to consume healthcare. They want to be part of it. So they want to be active partners with their physician in making these decisions, and they want to be informed. The days of you going, you know, your parents' generation or your grandparents' generation to go to the doctor, the doctor tells them what to do, you do what the doctor says. Those days are over. They want to be much more informed about their choices and be a partner with their physicians in making those decisions. Uh, the second one is content proliferation. There's so much information out there that people didn't have years ago. If you weren't in the medical profession, you kind of didn't have access to information, but now you do. So your company needs to create a good online presence where people can get information easily because you want them to go to your site to get that information and your product. The millennials also are passionate about online rights, right? It's all about the web. It's all what's online, what's available. So that's important. And then also the way the businesses are going is kind of the Amazon model to access. You need to blend your online and offline operations. They should work seamlessly. It should be very easy to go online and schedule your appointment. Why do you need to call the scheduler and do it that way? You should be able to do it from your phone, from a website, right? Now you should be able to do it from your Apple Watch. You, you need to pay attention to what's happening in technology, and it should be a, an easy way, right? If you're still doing faxed paper recs, from people, you're, you know, 10 years behind where you should be, right? You're referring clinicians. They should be able to order online. There should be a way to submit this stuff without a bunch of paperwork and faxes going back and forth. Conscious consumers, definitely the millennials are conscious consumers. They're socially conscious. It's very important for them. They not only care about your products, but they care about the origin of your products. So this is like uh, Chipotle, right? Why is that so popular? They love Chipotle because they know Chipotle is green and they're not using antibiotics and they're investing in their environment and they treat their employees well. Those are all important things to the millennials. So they want to see that you you also care about your environment and about the products that you you are providing. They like low-cost luxury, right? They're very brand conscious and price conscious. They, they may go online and seek out the best deal. I mean, there are sites now that say what has the cheapest 
CAT scan, right? What what place offers the cheapest rate? So there's definitely some cost conscious, but they also are often willing to pay more if they feel that it adds more value. So this is the generation, right, that will pay $30 for a spin class, right? They go and like sweat on a bicycle for 30 minutes or whatever, right? So they'll pay that, right? Because they feel that it adds value. So this generation is more likely to do things like concierge medicine. They're definitely more likely to go to the doc in the box because it's more convenient to get their flu shot than make an appointment and sit in the doctor's office for an hour to get a flu shot that costs more money. So you have to take into account that. Again, it comes back, you should make it easy, right? There's no reason people should be waiting. The millennials are the power girls. So this is the the decade of women, right? Empowerment of women campaign. So you need to make sure that, that you, you know, you're aware of that and that this is going on. It's also the selfie conscious, right? These people are very, <clears throat> excuse me, the millennials are very conscious of their image and they're always taking selfies, right? And I, I saw an interview with Kim Kardashian who always takes the selfies. And I thought it was interesting when they asked her, well, if you take a selfie, how many selfies do you take before you find the one that you post online? And you would never guess what her answer is, 500. Okay, she doesn't just put up the phone and take a selfie, right? She has the lighting, she knows her angle, she takes 500 until she gets the perfect selfie. So the millennial generation is very conscious of how the outside world sees them. Also, they're very focused on their health. And again, as I mentioned before, they'll pay for it if it's worth it to them. So if, for, if they have a concierge medicine, if there's a doctor who they pay a fee for every year because they know that they have immediate access to that doctor, they don't have to make an appointment and go through the usual channels, they can text the doctor and get their you know, immediate advice and phone in a prescription, they will pay for that because they find that it's added value. And then the last thing, what she calls is philanthropy, they want to proactively participate in charities. So this isn't somebody, these aren't people who just write a check to the United Way. They want to be involved in it. They want to volunteer. They want to see that their money is used for good things. So that kind of sums up what the millennial generation is like. So these are the top 10 take-home points from the 10 speakers that we had in. The first one was Greenberg. And remember, only do what only you can do. Figure out what your job is and what the most important things that you can do and the other things you should be able to delegate to other people. Candor is critical. That was Ed Catmull. It's important that your employees can be honest with you. If they're unhappy or if something that you say is wrong or they think an idea is stupid, they should be able to speak up. Otherwise, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you won't have a creative environment. Hire the right people. That's a top priority. That was a theme for a lot of our speakers. Put a lot of effort into who you're hiring. Make sure you train them well and that people aren't working out or you have people for 30 years that aren't working out. At some point, you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, Eric Becker, what are you tolerating that you shouldn't be? That's a great one. I think after listening to this, you should make a list and then you should start checking them off and fixing these problems that are recurrent that you've just given up on. Marla Kaplowitz, she's, again, put your employees first, right? Then your product, then your patients. If you don't have happy employees that you treat with respect, how do you expect them to treat the patient well. Cindy Wolf, she was the chef. Remember, take care of the front of the house. As a radiologist, you need to know what's happening at every aspect of the business from when the patient makes the appointment till they come to the parking lot, till they use the bathroom, until they go home. All that experience you should pay attention to. 
Uh, Phillips, remember, serve the patient. Go where the patient is. Educate the patient. Reach out to the patient with your online presence. Make sure that the patient has the information. They're looking for the information. Everything they need should be at your site. Hrabowski, he was the diversity, and he makes a point, you know, diversity is not just having two African Americans, three Hispanics, that kind of thing. The reason why you want a diverse uh, work group is that you want diversity of thought. All these people bring diversity into your organization, and it's very important to listen and have an open mind. Uh, Whitney Fishman, or Zember Fishman, this was social media, right? Hopefully you're doing some sort of social media. If you're not, you're going to be, so it's time to pay attention to that because this generation looks to social media. And then we need to pay attention to the millennial generation, and that was Tina Wells. These people are getting older. They're going to be a force in the workplace. They already are. They're going to work for you, but they'll also be your patients and your customers, so you want to make sure that you're meeting your needs. So hopefully with these these two talks, I kind of gave you an overview of our experience with bringing outside experts and leaders in their field on how we can improve the patient experience by paying attention to these things in our radiology practices. Thank you.